Do you ever read a like a news story or hear about something that happens? <clears throat> and you wonder what in the world was wrong with the people in the story. I heard a story like that this week. I heard it today. A friend of mine had been on vacation in Wyoming and Denver and, and Wyoming and Colorado. And while they were in a park in Denver this week, a, a lady came to the playground and she starts screaming at another woman for having an affair with her husband. And then after screaming at the woman in the park for quite a while, she just stops and she begins to scream for some man to come and have an affair with her because that'll show her husband. And you hear stories like that and you think, something's, something ain't right. Uh, but it's not just stuff like that. I mean, even in our town, we've heard things that have happened recently in our town, things that people have done. And we read about the stuff, the police blotter and things like that, and we wonder what's wrong people why do people act like this uh, but, but the truth is there's all kinds of things like this that are going on in the world all around us all the time and the world it tries to give us all kinds of answers as to why people act like this and why they do the things that they do but God's word gives us what I believe is the definitive answer to the question of why people act the way they do like that open your Bible to Isaiah 57 verse 20 and 21 is what we're going to look at tonight should be on page 562 if you've got a pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 57 and verse 20. It says, But why? But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up refuse and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. The title of the message tonight is Facts About the Wicked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You're great and you're glorious. You're wonderful and you're worthy. Lord, we are thankful that your mercy is more. Uh, we are thankful that, Lord, we can call to you from sorrows deep and you hear and you care about the things going on in our lives. Tonight we come, Lord, we have this time where we want to be in your word and we want to hear from you. So, Father, let Holy Spirit come and take Your Word and make it living and active in our lives. Uh, give us ears to hear what He's saying to us tonight. Let Your Word, let it do its work, Father. Let it challenge us. Let it sanctify us. Uh, let it equip us to do the things that You want us to do. Father, speak tonight. Your servants are listening. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. So Isaiah is trying to get people's attention. And he he paints a, a troubling picture of the wicked. Uh, and the word wicked is a, a strong word. And the use of the wicked could make us ask, who are the wicked? Well, according to God's word, the wicked are those who have broken God's law and have not received God's pardon for this transgression. What this would mean for us is the wicked are those who have not repented of their sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And using these two verses tonight, I want to give us four facts about the wicked that are important for us to know. As we see how people act, we see the things they do, and we wonder why people act the way that they act. That The first fact about the wicked is that the wicked lack peace. In verse 20, the wicked are described as being like the, the tossing sea. It pictures the sea in turmoil. 
the waves are, are tossed about in a tempest. There's no peace. It's just a, a constant upheaval. And it says in verse 20, 21 explicitly, there is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Sin kills peace. Uh, this is one of the reasons the world is, is always at war. Right? Sin does not bring peace to a, a culture. Sin does not bring peace to a nation. But, but sin will not bring peace to a person. Sin in, in our lives or sin in the life of another will keep them in a constant state of turmoil. Now, peace or a lack of peace in a person's life is seen in many different ways. One is through perpetual unhappiness. And those who are who lack peace, who are like the tossing of the sea, there's just there's always something wrong in their lives or in their world. They're always griping. They're always nagging. They're always complaining about something that's going on, something that's not right in their lives or in the world around them. Now, Generally, this unhappiness is focused on others. Very rarely are they introspective. But it's more about my life would be better if they didn't or if they weren't or if this would happen. For the the wicked who are perpetually unhappy, there's really always someone else to blame for anything that's going on in their lives. Even if they have anger about the issues going on in the world around them as a general rule when you watch them and talk to them what you find out is their anger at the issues of the world or really just a way to keep them from focusing on themselves right so they are just perpetually unhappy Uh, another way you you see the lack of peace in the wicked is that they are constantly making changes there is constant changes now one of the ideas of a of a tossing sea is that it's Ever moving and it's restless. It's never still. It's just going up and down and and all around. It's never entirely calm. And since the wicked lack peace, since they are perpetually unhappy, they're looking for peace. They're looking for happiness. Nobody likes to be in a constant state of turmoil. Nobody enjoys that. And so what the wicked do is they, they look for things or they look for people. They look for something that will bring peace into their lives. Now, generally, there are they, they are constant with the changes, but rarely are they consistent with the changes. And here's what I mean. They have a job, and the job makes them miserable. And the job's the reason they don't have peace, and the job's the reason they're perpetually unhappy. So they look for another job, and they go to that job. And then suddenly they're okay, but it only lasts for a little while because the problem wasn't the job. The problem's in them and they carry that perpetual unhappiness with them. And so they're unhappy in this job. And so they they look for another job, they make that job. The changes are, are constant, but they're not consistent. They never land and stay anywhere. Or they're, they're unhappy in their relationship with their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their husband or their wife. And so they, they go from relationship to relationship, just constantly changing. But, but they never land and are consistent anywhere because they're hoping that whatever they land on next will bring happiness, will bring peace into their lives. But the constant changes really don't bring peace because the problem isn't the circumstances of their life. The problem isn't the job or the relationships, the problem is what's going on in their heart, what's going on in their life. Another something we see in the, in the wicked who like peace is that they, they're troublemakers. 
One of the ways to recognize a person without peace is that they are constantly trying to stir up trouble. God's Word speaks often about people who like to stir up trouble, and it never says anything good about them. Proverbs has a, one of the clearest things. Right? So here, notice it talks about someone who, who digs up evil. Right? So it's talking about trying to dig up something bad about someone. That's what it's talking about. Their words are like a scorching fire. So in other words, their words are just, they put people on blast all the time. They, they spread strife and they separate close friends. Right? So these are the, the actions of the person being described, or the people being described. But what is the character of the person who does these things? Well, they're a, a worthless person. They're a perverse person. They're a slanderer. Somebody who's always trying to stir up strife, that, that's telling us something about their character. That is telling us something about them. And if we take God's word at face value, this is what it's telling us. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I have known those people in my life. I have known those people who are always trying to stir someone and something up. And you wonder, what is wrong with them? Why are they always acting like that? And here is the answer. They don't have peace, and so they try to steal that peace from others. As the old saying goes, hurt people hurt people. Those who have no peace often stir up trouble to steal the peace of others. Another something we see in the wicked who lack peace is they are uncontrolled in their passions. Now, the wicked are controlled by their sinful passions. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But, but this can be compared to the, the tossing waves of the sea. The wicked are, are driven by the conflicting passions that rage within them. Passions like pride and envy and lust and malice, ambition and revenge. And being driven by these sort of base sinful passions... It, it steals any chance that they may have of peace. Being driven by sinful passions, it leaves no peace in a person's soul. Being filled and driven by sinful passions makes peace impossible. And the best the person can hope for is to learn to restrain those things in public. The problem with restraining them in public is they're not really dealt with. And so you never know when the anger that's under the surface is going to boil and lash out. You never know when the lust that is being pressed down is suddenly going to, to burst forth. The uncontrolled passions rule, fill them and rule them in their life. Another something that keeps the, the wicked from having peace is a guilty conscience. Commentator Albert Barnes says nothing resembles an agitated ocean casting up mire and dirt more than a soul agitated by recollections of past guilt. While there may be momentary reprieves of a guilty conscience, there will be no lasting peace from it. At some point they will awaken in the night with feelings of guilt and their lives will be tossed and tormented, stealing their peace once again. And then a final one would be fear of judgment. Many people have no peace today, day or night, because they fear the judgment to come. For these people, they know just enough of the Bible to know that there is a coming judgment. 
They've embraced just enough of the Bible to believe that they're truly good, that, that people do suffer for their sins. And, and often what they do is they convince themselves they're okay. No, no, me and God have our own special deal. We, we've got it. I've got it lined out that I'm going to be okay. But late in the night, in the dark, when it's just them and God, thoughts of eternity, thoughts of death come up. It brings nothing but turmoil and fear because they're not certain they will escape the judgment to come. And while I'm sure there are more ways a lack of peace is seen in the wicked, this gives you a good picture of of what we might see. Much, if not most, of the turmoil and strife and conflict in the world flows from people who have no peace. But again, it's not just global conflicts. Much of the turmoil and strife and conflict we see in our community among people we know and care for flows from the fact that in reality they are wicked people who have no peace. Another characteristic of the wicked is that they lack power. So the wicked lack peace, the wicked lack power. Isaiah says that that the, the tossing sea, notice, it cannot be quiet or it cannot be still. Albert Barnes says the Hebrew is stronger than our English translation. It means there is no possibility of it being at rest. It is unable to be still. Right? The, the tossing sea cannot be still. It cannot be calm. It cannot stop tossing and turning and, and going about. Similarly, the sinner cannot stop sinning. The idea is that sin overpowers the sinner. The wicked do not have the power necessary to make changes into their lives. They don't have the ability to fix what's broken in their lives. They cannot overcome their evil habits. Again, this is something God's Word makes clear. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, this is for all of us. At one point, we were all helpless. Now, the idea of helpless would be really of being just completely unable, powerless to overcome a problem. As a general rule, the, word, the Greek word helpless was used to talk about having a, a lack of physical strength. And so we might picture the word like if, if we were to have someone come up here and and lay down and we were to get the communion table and set it on top of them and then put the pulpit on top of that and then put this on top of that and then three or four of us would climb up and set down on top of that. As it pressed down on them, they could scream and they could plead and they could struggle, but they couldn't get out from underneath it. They would not be strong enough to come out from underneath that weight. It would just be crushing them no matter what. They are powerless to get the weight off of them. This is the idea in Romans 5-6. But rather than talking about being physically helpless, it's talking about being spiritually helpless. Rather than not having the physical strength to do something, Paul is saying that the, the ungodly, they, have the, they don't have the spiritual strength to do something. And what they don't have the spiritual strength to do is to make changes into their lives. God's Word brings this up in, in several ways. The wicked are powerless to understand the things of God. Right? You've, 
You ever shared God's word, shared the gospel with someone and they're like, I don't I just don't see how that applies to me. There's a reason on their own. They are powerless. They're wicked and they are on their own. They're powerless to understand the need for Jesus. The wicked are powerless to seek God. How many times have we told somebody that was that we we knew? I mean, we, we say we don't want to judge their hearts, but we knew they were lost. We knew they didn't embrace Jesus. And we said, well, if you just, just seek the Lord. They can't. They're physically, spiritually unable. The wicked are powerless to please God. Think about the number of times maybe we've told someone, again, we, we knew they weren't living for the Lord. We knew they didn't know the Lord. I think kind of we told them they need to straighten up and fly right. They can't. They're not going to please the Lord. The wicked are powerless to do good. Change your life. Quit acting like this. They literally can't. Why can't they? Because they are spiritually dead. Right? The wicked are as powerless to change anything about their spiritual condition as a dead person is to change their circumstances or their surroundings. The wicked cannot stop the turmoil of their lives because their sin has killed them. They are enslaved by their sin. They are helpless to overcome it on their own. They've lost control of their lives and they cannot get it back without help from the Lord above. On their own, nothing can ever change in their lives. Sin enslaves people and they become slaves of sin. Many troubled souls try to change their own lives and fail. And they don't fail typically because they didn't try. They failed because they tried to do it on their own and on their own. They are powerless to do it. The kind of changes that are needed to take a, a, a wicked person and, and give them peace or a wicked person and give them the power to make changes. It does not come through education. It does not come by turning over a new leaf and it does not come through sheer power of the will to make changes. The wicked lack the power to make true and lasting changes to the moral character of their lives because they are spiritually dead. They are helpless. Thirdly, the wicked lack purity. The wicked lack peace. The wicked lack power. The wicked lack purity. The last of verse 20. It's waters toss up refuse and mud. The wicked are like the tossing sea. It cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up the muck and the mire. In other words, wicked people do wicked things. In fact, according to God's word, wicked people aren't wicked because they do wicked things. What God's word teaches is they do wicked things because they're wicked people. Right? Just as the tossing sea cannot do anything but junk, but, but stir up the muck and the mire, neither can wicked people do anything except do wicked things. It is who they are at the core of their being. Look at how Jesus explains this. He was saying that which comes out of a person, that's what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of people... 
come evil thoughts, acts of sexual immorality, thefts, murders, acts of adultery, deeds of greed, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. These evil things come from within and they defile the person. Right? Now notice the focus is on the heart. The actions come from the heart. The defiling actions come from a defiling heart. Just as the tossing sea stirs up muck and mire, so too the defiled heart stirs up defiling things. Now, he gives us a list of things that, that are actions that defile, that come from a defiled heart. Evil thoughts. The Greek word for evil is also translated as grievous, harmful, malicious, and lewd. Evil, grievous, harmful, malicious, and lewd thoughts defile a person even if they never act on them, if they just stew on them. Sexual immorality. This is any sexual activity outside the bonds of a heterosexual marriage. It is sexual immorality. It is sin. Thefts. It's to cheat and to steal or to wrongfully take from another person. Murders. Murders to wrongfully take the life of another. But if we were to go to the Sermon on the Mount and let the, the words of Jesus define murder... We would find anger can be as sinful as murder. Unjustified anger. Treating people with contempt in our anger. Condemning people to hell because we're angry at them. Those are all ways that, that anger is as defiling as murder. Then there's adultery. Adultery is being sexually unfaithful to your spouse. Now again... If we go to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says having a lustful thought about someone other than your spouse is like adultery. So someone may never physically cheat on their spouse, but they have cheated on them with their minds and have defiled themselves. Those thoughts, those lustful thoughts come from somewhere. It's a defiled heart. Deeds of greed. The word translated as greed, it basically means a, a consuming desire for more. And it covers a broad range of anything. It could be money, it could be fame, power, sex, uh, promotion or stuff. It could be anything. Anything that we could have a consuming desire for more of would fall under the, the category of deeds of greed. Wickedness. The word wickedness seems to focus mostly on doing harmful things to others. It's malice and hatred to harm other people. Deceit. Uh, the word means to bait someone and lead them into a trap. It is to mislead someone by twisting the truth to influence them to do something. Indecent behavior. The Greek word used was a general term used to cover all sorts of moral uncleanness. But more than anything, what it discovered, what it described was the attitude. Right? So indecent people, or lascivious in the King James, indecent people, they not only act in morally unclean ways, they're not bothered by it. They're not ashamed of their sin. Envy. Many translations call this the evil eye. And it refers to a jealous envy. It, it wants what it doesn't have. But it doesn't just want what it doesn't have. It is angry at those who have it. It is jealous of others who have it. It might even wish harm on others who have what they want but don't have. Slander is doing harm to another person's reputation by spreading gossip, lies, or rumors about them. Pride is a self-exaltation or conceit or arrogance causing us to, to look down on others as if we were better than them. Foolishness. Foolishness. This one is such a powerful thing, especially in our culture. 
The main idea associated with foolishness was thoughtlessness. Someone who speaks without thinking is foolish. Someone who acts without thinking is foolish. Someone who doesn't think about the consequences of their actions is foolish. A person who is thoughtless regarding their morals, their duty, and their behavior is foolish. Now, the thing is, we know this is not a complete list. right? We could go to Galatians 5, 19-21, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-12, and see similar lists. But the point I want us to see first is, where does Jesus say these actions come from? Come from the heart, inside of person. So, biblically speaking, just letting the words of Jesus stand. If you see someone, and these actions are a regular part of their life, does it say anything about the condition of their heart? It absolutely does. Defiling actions flow from a defiled heart. That's not being judgmental. That is just taking the words of Jesus at face value. The main truth we need to get from this last part is that wicked people do wicked things. Sinful people do sinful things. And as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should not be surprised by this fact. And as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, neither should we try to minimize this fact. Someone we know, someone we care for, lives in these sort of ways. We do them no service by trying to justify it, by trying to minimize what the Lord Jesus Christ says here. According to Jesus, those actions say something about the character of the person living in them. Now, none of the things that we've talked about Tonight, a lack of peace, a lack of power, a lack of purity. None of those things are the main problem. They're merely symptoms of the real problem. And the real problem is what these things reveal about the spiritual condition of the person. And what these things reveal about the spiritual condition of the person is, according to Isaiah, that they are wicked. What it is, according to Jesus, is that they have a defiled heart. And the takeaway for us, because this is the case, is not to encourage people to do better. Not to encourage people to try harder. Because they're powerless to do better, no matter how hard they try. People with a defiled heart will do defiled things. People who are wicked in their character will do wicked things. And no matter how much we shame them or urge them or tell them to straighten up and fly right, they will not. They cannot. There is no hope for them in themselves. There is no hope for them in turning over a new leaf. There is no hope for them in moral reform. There is no hope for them in anything they can do on their own. There is only one place in all the world, in all of eternity, in all of existence where they can go to find help. The wicked need Jesus. 
This is what we must do. Now, clearly this passage does not tell us the wicked need Jesus. But this is the overall testimony of God's word. One of the reasons Isaiah cries out to the people about their sin is so they will turn back to God. This was the point and the purpose of all of God's prophets. To go to sinful people and tell them, do not do this sinful thing I despise, says the Lord. Turn, turn and be saved, says the Lord. God's great desire was always for the wicked to turn back to Him and be saved. In our day, this means they need Jesus. They need to repent of their sins and they need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus alone is the cure for what the wicked lack. Jesus alone can give them what they lack. Jesus gives peace. Jesus gives two kinds of peace. He gives peace with God and peace from God. One of the main problems of the wicked is that they are in opposition to God by their sinful acts and their wicked thoughts. That's Colossians 1.21. Every wicked person in the world, every defiled person in the world has set themselves up as the enemy of God through their rebellion against God. And what they need is to be brought to a place where there is peace between God and them. And only Jesus can do that. But Jesus not only gives us peace with God, Jesus gives us peace from God. And His peace is not like the peace of the world. It lasts. One of the reasons the wicked lack peace is because they look to the world to give them peace. They look to, to politics, to money, to power, to, to something that they can do. And they can say, I have peace because of this. But, but all of that is every bit as unstable as a tossing sea. But Jesus gives us a peace that is vastly different. Jesus gives us power. The wicked may try to change, but they lack the power to change. Jesus transforms us and he frees us from the power of sin. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead comes to live within us when we are saved. And according to Romans 8 and 12, we have no obligation to do what our sinful nature desires. That's powerful. We go from being a slave to sin who can't do anything but toss up muck and mire to being slaves of righteousness who can do what God would have us to do. But it doesn't mean we're never tempted. But when we are, we can go to the throne of grace where we are promised to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Jesus promises us help and power to overcome Our sinful urges so we're not captivated and enslaved by them any longer. And then Jesus gives us purity. Sinners cannot help but to live sinfully because that's who they are in their nature. Jesus changes our nature. We're made into an entirely new creation. We are given His righteousness so that we can be righteous and we can do righteous. This is the only hope the wicked have. This is the only way they can be changed. This is the only way they can go from being like tossing sea that cannot be quiet, constantly tossing up refuse and mud. It is only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus does for the wicked what they cannot do for themselves. Jesus gives the wicked what they lack. So the key takeaway I want us to know tonight is this. The wicked don't need our condemnation. And they don't need our justification. They simply need our Jesus. The wicked don't need our condemnation. They're already condemned. And are adding to that, trying to be the Holy Spirit, to bring condemnation to them. It does nothing to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. But just as they don't need our condemnation, they don't need our justification. They don't need us to excuse their sin. They don't need us to tell them it's okay. They don't need us to make it as though their sin does not reveal their character as God's word says it does. And often what we do is now, let me just be real honest. We don't really do that for the world at large. We typically do that for people we know, people we care about. And we do it because it soothes our consciences. It makes us feel better about their rebellion. And we we justify it in our minds. But but understand. Justifying their sin. What it reveals about their character does not change them. If we have a friend, a loved one, who lives like this, and we say, oh yeah, but I know they love God. I know they're, they're good people. I'm sure they're going to be okay. Our saying that does not save them. Our saying that does not change what Jesus has said. All it does, all it does... It soothes our consciences so that we can allow them to go to hell while we don't feel bad about it. But they still go to hell when they die unless they repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The wicked may like our justification, but they do not need it. It damns them for all of eternity. What they need is our Jesus. That's it. So we have a choice about how we're going to respond to the darkness around us, the sin, the wickedness around us. We can curse the darkness, which doesn't do any good. We can excuse the darkness, which doesn't do any good. Or we can give our lives and do what we can to dispel the darkness with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the light of his gospel. Only the third option makes a difference in the world around us. Only the third option makes a difference in anyone's life. Let's determine that what we're going to do is do everything we can to bring the wicked to Jesus. We're going to be honest about what we see and what it says about their lives. We're not going to condemn them because it doesn't do any good and they can't change on their own. But neither are we going to justify it and make light of it and act like it's okay because it's not. Instead, we're going to look for opportunities and take opportunities to try to to share Jesus with them. Because Jesus and only Jesus has the power to help them, to give them what they desperately need. Let's, Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. We thank you for Jesus who gives us what we lacked. Father, there was a time where all of us were wicked and without peace. There was a time when all of us 
were wicked and without power. There was a time when all of us were wicked and without purity. And that's how we would have stayed had you not intervened in our lives. As Paul says in Ephesians 2, But God is great in mercy, the love with which He loved us. I am thankful that you intervened in my life. I'm thankful for parents that didn't justify my sin, called me on it every time they had an opportunity. I didn't appreciate it then, but I sure do now. Thank you for the people you sent into my life at various times to point me to Jesus. Guide me that I would be that for someone else. Guide us that we would be that for those around us, Lord. Let us be sure we're giving them Jesus, not moralism, not look to God. None of that helps. They need Jesus. Make us a Jesus people who talk about Jesus, proclaim Jesus, share Jesus. Do everything we can to point everyone we can to Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.